I want you to keep it tuned right here. Up next, it's the McShank Podcast Boys, Ryan and Clayton, coming at you on KMPN in sunny Los Angeles. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the McShank Podcast, a mid-year episode. What is this? Usually, we've just been coming at you the beginnings of the year, but now we've got a little bit more coming for you here mid-year. I'm Ryan. I'm Clayton. And Ryan, the last time we attempted a remote podcast, I was literally on another continent. So the circumstances must be somewhat dire. I imagine so. Are you are you telling me that you are coming to us from another country again? Or is there something else that's going on that I don't know about? I don't watch the news. Is that? <laughs> no, they're, they're just, there's just a another social inhibitor, I guess you would say, that is not a body of water. That is making our congregation a little more difficult. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, that is the case. We are both uh, holed up, quarantined in our various humble abodes. And that is actually sort of a halfway coming at it from a different angle for the reason why we're actually recording today. So as everybody is, I'm sure, aware, and as we are both very aware, not a lot of movie theaters uh, going on these days, and not a lot of movie movie theater trips happening with people as theaters remain closed in this country. <laughs> and uh, so what we kind of wanted to do was really kind of go down memory lane a little bit. And it's not something that we really often do. A lot of this is... A lot of it's based around analysis of of the future or the, the present films and don't really get a chance to kind of just sit back and just kind of wax poetic and reminisce a little bit about some, uh, some of the things that we've done in our film going past. And uh, so, Clayton, why don't you go ahead and tell us what we're going to be discussing today? Yeah, when you pitched to me a couple of weeks ago the idea of recounting some of our most memorable summer movie experiences. I figured it was obviously the right time when we're in virally imposed exile and are (laughs) curious if we're ever going to see another summer movie again. So we might as well just talk about it and relive some of the better days as we look to a very long future (laughs) of not having them. We can't go out to a theater to make our own memories and experience things the way that we used to. And like you said, it's the, I mean, really for better or for worse, I would say movie going is going to absolutely change as a result of this. And that's a whole other podcast for a whole other day, the future of movie going, but it might be tough to, uh, to make these types of memories in the future. And I feel bad because there are, people that are kids that were our age when when we went to go see some of these movies who now maybe won't get to have that type of experience or won't get to to uh to to really experience the 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 joy of sitting in an air-conditioned theater when it's really hot out and just turning your brain off or laughing a lot or whatever it may be those sorts of things aren't really going to happen and that's that's pretty sad to me yeah yeah i agree i mean i'm sure there was a slew of films you were looking forward to and a lot of films that we're both looking forward to that uh, have release dates that just say TBD at the moment on any website you go to. So uh, do you remember the first idea you had for a show this year? I think you had it in January or February. It was when 
there was still a Bond movie coming out soon, and you wanted yeah. to you wanted to do a run up of the Daniel Craig Bond movies leading up to uh, Never Say Die. No alone. time, no, no time to die. Never say die alone forever again, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So that that's obviously right there in the grab bag of uh, I don't know. So yeah, sure. Maybe 2021 <laughs> is going to look crazy packed. I don't know, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's kind of a strange thing. We were just talking about it today because we're recording this August 1st that we would have already have seen Tenet by now, and we were probably ramping up to see it for a second time tonight. If this were <laughs> six months ago, we would we would be looking forward towards that, and now it's. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? From all the way, like the, the Nolan two hundred million dollar summer temples, even something like Disney's reimagining of Mulan, I was looking forward to seeing. You know, like it, just not, nothing is coming out anytime soon. So now we're left to experience things at home or do what we're doing now, reminisce on past experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of Christopher Nolan, this is obviously a very pro Chris Nolan podcast. You've known that for years. We it's we make no secret of our uh, love for the man and his work. So when I posed this question or this idea for an episode to Clayton, I had to say because it would be on my list and would probably be on his list. No Dark Knight. We 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 we've discussed the Dark Knight to every within an inch of its life in, in many of our multitude of other episodes. So we had to sort of put that to the side and then Clayton you had kind of an interesting idea with how maybe we wouldn't put it on the list but there's something about that particular summer that intrigues you yeah when you said we had to cast it aside I I initially had severe pains in my chest immediately because that is without a doubt my best summer movie going experience of all time so in order to circumvent this and jump through a little loophole if you will how about we just talk about the entire summer of 2008? Because and so, I, yeah, it's, it's a, a very meaningful ahead. time yeah. in my life, and I would assume similar with you. Yeah, so this was my first sort of full year out of college. So sort of living on my own here in Los Angeles. I was living with a couple people, but I was paying my own way, working, and yeah, and this, and there, there I, I was initially sort of, questioning like why would he bring this up and then when i looked at the list of 2008 summer movies my god there was like it was a stack man i mean just stone cold so what do you yeah so i was on a very similar life trajectory as you were at the time i obviously graduated college right when you did yeah you were literally i think standing next to and i went home to save some money for a while in the fall of 2007 and then decided to cut the cord and moved to LA with, with only a, a retail job awaiting me for some immediate income. And that happened, I think in March or April of 08. And, you know, I'm sleeping on my buddy's floor the first month, moving out here, just have a job at Borders bookstore in Pasadena. And I knew you were down here. So that was a big, a big draw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to have a little bit of a social service, excuse me, social circle established already. So that was that was big. And it turns out that the first real movie going experience I had writ large was um, in Burbank. And it was 
the release of Iron Man in May of 2008, which I think when we look back on it in retrospect, was just the ultimate one-two punch of a superhero experience along with what would come later in July that we've we ever had to that point and what we've ever had since so I mean it it's really you can look to that movie I mean obviously it kicked off the MCU but just the ripple effects that it's had in filmmaking and how studios think about franchises and everything like that can all sort of be just sort of point back to that movie and I, I interesting thought experiment I always like to think about is what if that movie had not done well what if Iron Man just didn't do well well what would that mean for the future of the other MCU because we've had other series that have kicked off that just didn't go anywhere and then they just sort of shut down the other two movies or shut down the idea for the series. I'm thinking of the dark universe in spe- specifically <laughs> with, with the mummy just absolutely tanking. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting to think about, but that was, yeah. So we had incredible yeah. the same summer, which was kind of the only other guaranteed Marvel movie we would have had if, if uh, Iron Man had bombed at the box office. And cause I think the next in line was, was Iron Man two after that. Uh, I could be wrong. Then, yeah. Could be wrong. Well, because then Thor, because then Thor would have come out in like 2011. It would have come out, yeah, the next year. So yeah, I'm pretty sure they were just yeah, planning it, for those first couple. It all of hinged years. on Iron Man, and when Nick Fury came out to give the stinger about the Avenger initiative, it was a really exciting time for a a, a, a moviegoer with a interest in popular cinema. And I mean, it was just Marvel was its own entity at the time. It didn't have the franchise obligations to rely on. And Iron Man was just a stellar outing, which I still consider to be the the apex of the MCU. And that was the first movie. <laughs> it's the apex. It still is. Yeah, it still is. That movie has a distinct personality. It's got more of a, of a hard rock attitude. It, mm-hmm. it just weighs more. It has a weight to it that I think that most yeah. the other films don't. And, and that was just the beginning of the summer. Right, exactly. Did you go to our screening, or because wasn't there a sort of a mix-up with when people were getting tickets? I mean, I imagine that you were—that was sort of your first main big experience being in Los Angeles and going to a big movie release. But it was. if I remember correctly, the it, the the line at least just to get to your seat, basically, like all the tickets had been sold. We got tickets before then, but just to get in the line was like wrapped around the building multiple times and you're going up and down. And it's just, it was quite, it was something to behold really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There was a buzz in the air that I don't think has been replicated many times since. I mean, it was was the resurrection of Robert Downey Jr. I mean, he'd done Zodiac, he'd done kiss, kiss, bang, bang before this, but this was his true resurrection as a, as a box office draw. And, and it was an exciting time, which would only be cashed out even further later in August when a little movie called Tropic Thunder came out. Yeah. Which is also something I do want to get to, but I actually, there was a, a time period where I was back at home back in the Bay area. And that's actually where I, I ended up seeing the dark Knight for the first, you know, two or three times. Uh, we, were, we, we, we were texting each other right when we got out of the yeah. cinema. It was like, it, it was just a, Oh my fucking God. Oh my fucking God. Oh my fucking God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because there was a like a little bit of, hey, maybe this won't live up to everything. How could it? that we? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the first movie was so great, and 
you just have the weight of so much expectation with with Ledger's performance and the trailers and all the little things that you that you'd seen from it, and you were just hoping that maybe there would be <laughs> that it would pay off maybe like seventy percent because I think that you get sequelitis a little bit, and also the fact that it just had this you know just a giant weight up on on its shoulders that if if it had like seventy eh, percent been what you expected i feel like that would have been a win but for it to meet if not exceed any lofty expectations we had is a testament to uh just how great it is and and i would be remiss if i didn't comment that this was arguably the the close of the first chapter of our friendship because Mm -hmm. our friendship essentially started with an offhand comment about batman begins that you see santa barbara (laughs) and and how we both loved it and then of course the the viral marketing campaign to end all viral marketing campaigns was in was in full scope while in those graduating years there and was cashed out on I think it was July 18th 2008 mm-hmm. when it finally came yeah. out and man whew, what a fun ride along the way it's still never been definitely there. yeah but Tropic Thunder is an interesting one because I actually have a pretty distinct memory of this one because I was driving kyle who i was living with he was going to start his phd program at ut austin and in order to move him in he and i planned like a mini road trip from our house in van nuys to austin you know where we stop in the first night we stopped in vegas the second night we stopped in uh, phoenix and then las cruces new mexico and then we drove into austin and so I actually saw this. It was my first movie I'd ever seen at the Alamo Draft House. Mm-hmm. And none of us, neither of us had ever really known and never gone to a, a, a theater like that before. And uh, to know that you could just basically eat a restaurant meal and have beer before a movie at that time, it was like, what is happening? Mm-hmm. And um, oddly enough, just totally random. I think I must have told you about this, but I actually ran into our main advisor at the film department at UCSB in Austin at my screening of Tropic Thunder, sure. Joe Palladino. Oh, Joe Palladino. And it was just like, what is happening? Like, I don't like, how am I seeing you 2000 miles away in a totally different state in a totally different thing? But it was just, it was the most bizarre yeah, thing. and this is the movie that Joe Palladino goes to. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Sure, why not? Why not? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out Joe Palladino. Yeah, but so, uh, I always confuse him and Wallace Shawn in my head now. They are. They do have a very similar uh, <laughs> pattern of hair. I'll say. Yeah. So, but, um, uh, yeah, that's really yeah. cool. Um, I've only had one or two Alamo Draft House experiences uh, so far, but mm-hmm. that's a good one to have it in because with that crowd environment it must have just been electric it really was and it was it, it was if if it wouldn't have been clumped in with that it probably would have made my list just because that's probably the the, the opening trailers for that the fake trailers that they make for those movies uh it's probably up there with some of the hardest i've ever laughed in a theater just i mean <laughs> and then it just it just kicked off from there and to to kind of cap it with the tom cruise dancing and, and everything it was just yeah that's a that's a delightful movie that i haven't watched i haven't watched is that, that movie considered a time. farce or is it a satire do you think that's probably more of a satire with some farce yeah, in there. Some i think because elements. i think it's yeah it's it's trying to 
talk a little bit more about uh, the I, th- I think Hollywood as a whole and actors and things like that. I think it's I'd say it's probably more satire with some farce. You know, there's been some kind of a reversal about there was a debate on what aspects of that movie were most offensive when it came out. Mm. And I think right now most people would turn to the Robert Downey Jr.'s blackface in the movie. But at the time, that kind of went under the radar. I mean, it was just seen as universally funny by 99% of humanity, and then we moved on. But it was the you-never-go-full-retard conversation that I think drew the most heat at the time when it came out in Mm -hmm. 2008. And I find it interesting that I think now with the current state of of politics, it I, I feel like if the movie was to be re-examined for whatever reason, people would find a, a whole new different angle on the movie to think was the most offensive. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, honestly, when you said that, the first thing that popped into my head, I think probably at the time before maybe people had seen it, but the, probably the most offensive part of it was the fact that Tom Cruise was actually in the movie. <laughs> well, yeah, this was, this was post Oprah's couch dancing and yeah, and... he was kind of persona non grata <laughs> with the Matt Lauer thing and just, and for him to just kind of come back in that movie and just grab it by the horns as a movie star and totally take it over with the short amount of screen time that he has just sort of speaks to just how everlasting he is. And as crazy as he is, he's still a goddamn movie star. So <laughs> yeah, he got a lot of street cred back after Tropic Thunder and, I don't know. It, he he will continue to accrue that as his ad, action adventure exploits keep getting keeps getting ratcheted up uh, a little bit. I mean, now he's thinking about shooting a movie in space, so so that's on the horizon <laughs> apparently. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, he definitely got a lot of credit back with Tropic Thunder and the uh, summer of '08. Yeah, I mean, it was just to kind of draw back to the, the theme at large. Like, it was really my kind of coming out party and just in terms of being an adult on my own in Los Angeles and, and what am I, what am I doing? And it was just kind of an adventure in liberation and independence going to see these movies away from the house, you know, away from mom and dad, just doing my own thing, making my own living. And there were some amazing tent poles to highlight that along the way. I mean, it's got Iron Man in May of 08, then Wanted comes out after that, which is kind of enjoyable trash <laughs> with, with uh, yeah. a really good Danny Elfman score. And then you got Wally coming out in June as well, which is, yeah, I think one of the top three Pixar films. And you got Man on Wire coming out in July, which is an excellent Oscar winning documentary, which actually foreshadowed my first yeah. in the industry uh, less than a year later working with. Robert Zemeckis on a, at the time, experimental animated film about Wire Walker Philippe Petit. So looking back on it, it kind of, the, the richness of it just became ever more apparent it just uh, because we decided to go, go down this memory lane. <laughs> so how do you want to do the rest of the list? I mean, do you want to just go back and forth with, uh, or, do, yeah. or do you want to kind of just take a couple minutes aside here and just explain how you approach this list you're about to rattle off? Yeah, so I... It's interesting that you that you brought up that context with which you discussed the 2008 because a lot of my list is kind of shaped that way as well. Like the the latest movie that I have is from 2007. Mm-hmm. So and that also does coincide with times when I was growing up and times when maybe I had a job and I could go and go to my, you know, to a theater and I could 
do the things that I wanted to do in the summertime and, and things like that. And it wasn't so beholden on, okay, I need mom and dad to drive me. I need them to do this. And okay, now we're kind of going and, you know, it was, it, I didn't really feel too much like a kid when these uh, were going through. So a lot of it is more about the timing and things that happened around the movie and maybe not necessarily the movie itself. Cause there's a couple on here that really I've just seen once. Um, there's a few classics on my, on my list that I've watched again, but a lot of it is just like when I was thinking about this concept, this is the first thing. These are the, these are the ones that popped into my head because of just little things that I just, for some reason have stuck in my mind. And so summer movie memories. Yeah, well, why don't you start us off with your first and then I'll give a similar a similar preamble when I start my list. Okay, so my one uh, number five would be it's uh, 2001's The Others, Hmm. right? Kind of weird, kind of a weird one. It has, again, nothing to do with the movie, really. Um, But I had a friend named Scott who we were good friends from elementary school into, you know, still essentially, but he went to a different high school. His parents were, were, were split up. So he would spend the week in Santa Cruz and he would come and spend the weekends in Santa Clara with his dad. And so he and I would go to our local theater uh, or one of the many we had in our, at our disposal, luckily. And one weekend we decided we just wanted to go see the others. It was getting good reviews. Seemed like it was interesting. Caught off the sixth sense a couple years before. I don't even really think it's really this was like we show up to the theater we want to go see it and this was kind of really before you got into the habit of buying tickets online you know the internet was like kind of around 2001 yeah like i wasn't really buying ticket i don't even even know if i had a bank account in 2001 (laughs) frankly so i don't even know if it was possible yeah really exactly like i just whatever cash you had in your wallet whatever you can scrape together that's what you had to go with but we so we sh- we showed up relatively early and when we went to the box office we saw that it was sold out and the only reason i pointed out is because that seems like such a foreign concept mm-hmm. now just like showing up to a theater having a movie be sold out and just having it be a surprise like i get these big movies they sell t- you know we're getting tickets weeks in advance for these movies and you can look at your app you know, whether, whether you're AMC or Arclight or whatever it is, and you know, hey, this movie's sold out because I can't click the link to buy tickets for it anymore. But to actually just sort of show up sight unseen and go, oh, maybe I'll get there 45 minutes early and hope it's okay. And then to just see that sold out sign, it's like, I can't even remember the last time that actually happened when I didn't have tickets to something already and I showed up and it was sold out. It was very odd, but. Right, you had to, you had to be uh, on I, your game back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd be like, well, maybe it's busy, maybe it's not, or if it's sold out, maybe we have to hang around a little bit and do, you know, I don't have like money to go grab it. I'm not old enough. I can't grab a drink or anything <laughs> like that. So I'm just sort of like, just sort of hanging out at the front of the movie. So what, you're about 15 at so, that time? Itch? Uh, yeah, I was, mm-hmm. yes, I was, I was, was before I turned 16. Yeah. So I can't remember what else we did if we did anything else that day when we got there and it was sold out, but it's possible that with his schedule and he wanted to see his dad and stuff like that, we can only make it for at this particular time. So we would have probably just gone home. So the, a week passes. 
he's back home with his dad. We're like, great, let's go see the others. Let's, we're going to, we're going to defeat the others. We're going to go see it. And so we went back this weekend, exact same situation, exact same situation. And same, we went at like the, the same, uh, around the same time. I think by, by then it, it had gotten a little bit of buzz because of the ending. Ooh, it's got a surprise ending. You don't expect, even though you kind of see it coming like halfway through, but so the reason that this one popped into my brain, it's because something that we, Scott and I still talk about and still kind of reference is that we show up, it's sold out again. And so what I was doing is I was just walking around to random people in front of the theater, acting like a ticket scalper, just kind of going up to people, just being like, others, others, others. You got any tickets for the others? Others? You see on others? Others? Get what do you got? Any others? others. Yeah, exactly. So like, you know, it just, and that's, and that's exactly what it is. Just a random memory that just gets lodged in my brain that needs way too much buildup to get to where you need to go. But these are the types of things that you did when you were like 15 years old and you thought you were really cool and really funny going to see things like the others. And we eventually did see it and it was fine. It's a fine movie. So, <laughs> you know, now that you say it, I've never actually seen the others. Oh, and, really? And that's because I had the twist ruined for me. And oh. I'm not going to say it here because that's all I know about the movie to this date. <laughs> but yeah. I just, I never forgot it. And even with the passage of time, I still remember it. So I just have not been able to muster up enough enthusiasm to watch it. <laughs> so I'm you know, glad you have a much better experience with it than I did. Yeah, I mean, that's about that's about all that it is really. So <laughs> it's like, we got to capitalize on this sixth sense stuff. Who's got a twisty horror movie. All right, you, you go get it made. So, so yeah, so that's the type of thing that you're bound to expect with that one is a uh, little, little stories like, right. That. So, yeah. So my list, I approached in a pretty similar, similar way. It's kind of a mixed bag of experiences around particular movies. Like you just so eloquently, kicked us off with and more of a a cumulative experience of what a summer movie slate meant to me as a film goer in that time of my life, what it made me realize about movies in my, my evolution of just being a kid fascinated by them to being a teenager and actively seeking them out to basically saying, all right, I'm going to be consumed by movies for the rest of my life. (laughs) So little touchstones along the way. In addition, in addition to individual movie experiences. So I'm basically going to start off in the summer of 95. It's the earliest you'll find on this list and the earliest I can frankly remember about the summer movie season. So I'm 10 years old. And for the first time, summer movies are something that I am anticipating in life. I'm aware of them. I want to see them. I'm excited. And it's where my love of things as a kid or transposed to the screen, in addition to things that I didn't know I loved yet, starting to break the surface. So you got April, which I know doesn't count, but it's a good pretext. It's not the summer, but it's when a Goofy movie came out. (laughs) Wow. And, And my dad took me to see it. It was just me and him. I got into this a little bit on that nostalgia podcast we did ages ago. And it was 
to this day, the best father-son movie experience I've had in a theater. It was just, the movie was built for the moment. It was a father and a son connecting in a way they've never done before. And if you've never seen it or you haven't seen it since you were a kid, it is a criminally underrated movie. I literally watched it two or three months ago because it's, you know, 80 minutes or however long it is. And that movie slaps. <laughs> it's got a great soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, it's got power line. It's got everything you love about Goofy. It's got a really sincere portrait of an angsty teenage youth. And it's just masterfully done. So that was just the context setting up my summer of 95. Already off to a great start. So then... Right on. So then in June, Batman Forever comes out. I was a huge Batman fan oh, yeah. growing up. The animated series was a staple of my post-school adventures every day, 4.30 on, I think it was Fox. And this is the first Batman movie I've actually seen in the theater. So that was big, just purely on its own merits. And, you know, looking back on Batman Forever, I still enjoy it if I'm thinking about it as a comedy. <laughs> it's got some good <laughs> stuff in there and some really pulpy stuff. So you move on to June and then Apollo 13 comes out. And that is the first time I really remember being in a movie theater and having the hair stand up on the back of my neck at a scene. I think I'm thinking of specifically the re-entry into Earth's orbit scene at the end. Something about mm -hmm. that imagery and the propulsive score backing it up. It was just a religious experience at the movies for me. And it's kind of set the stage for a lot of similar experiences with space oriented movies in the future for me. I, it's one of my favorite genres, you know, adventures or misadventures in space and, and, and in my personal non-movie life, just a fascination with space in general. I mean, my grandfather worked at NASA and I've been kind of primed for these kind of stories my whole life. And so it all has its origins right there, seeing Apollo 13 in San Jose. So, that was a milestone moment for me. And then, I, then we moved to July and Clueless comes out, <laughs> which was, wow. which was to this day, I think a pitch perfect nineties satire and got me a little more in touch with the oncoming teenage years while still being a, a, a sprite young, young lad of, of 10, <laughs> but uh, introducing me to a more adult <laughs> sense of humor while providing the, the types of laughs that I could still appreciate at that age. I can't remember. I didn't. I definitely didn't see Apollo thirteen in the theater, but uh, I remember. First of all, it's weird that I think it's weird that that's a summer movie. I feel like that would be like Prestige. an Oscar. Fall movie. Yeah. yeah, that would be fall winter easily. Now I think, right. but yeah, I remember watching it. I think we rented it. My grandparents and I rented it, and I was just riveted by it. And 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 I was. I, I remember specifically thinking I was so bummed that I didn't get to see this in the theaters because even back then you're thinking that would have been so cool to see but yeah. another movie that comes on and before i know it i've i'm watching the credits I, I can't stop watching it it's it's inherently watchable movie stars it's well made high it's drama riveting story yeah yeah it's got it all it's a great it's a great great movie what's your next experience my next experience comes from this is the latest one that i had this is actually uh, 2007's super bad. <laughs> so this was actually the first summer at basically like I graduated, we graduated in 2007 and then I was back home. 
I didn't even live at home. I was renting a room that my friend Kyle, again, who comes up, he actually had moved out and was living uh, on campus at Stanford because he was doing some fancy schmancy internship. So he was basically living. It was easier for him to live on campus. Maybe he had to. I don't remember. But this, the drive from Santa Clara to Palo Alto was just kind of a mess. So uh, we had rented out, me and my friend Marcelo and another friend named Susan, we'd all rented out the, the, the space and kind of subleasing from him. And so that was sort of almost like college didn't really end. Like we got, we graduated and then I basically, I was think I was home for a couple days and then essentially just moved all my stuff into this apartment and we just kept it going. We were, you know, having parties and like listening to music and going to see movies late at night and doing all kinds of stuff. And so this was sort of a one, this was a, a, a big experience. Like I was paying my own way. I didn't really know much about it. I mean, I really liked Arrested Development, so I was excited to see Michael Sarah. But I don't know if when's the last time you watched it. But as soon as it started, I'm very familiar with it. I've seen it countless times, numerous times, right? I think it's sort of a, uh, just a stone cold classic in our age range. But just the classic scene where Jonah Hill is talking about what porn site he was going to subscribe <laughs> to now that he was going to be in college, and it just kind of like it really spoke to me like this movie was written by people who understood how high school and like college age people speak and like what they talk about and stuff like that. It's just and... how they joke at each other. I mean, mm-hmm. Jonah Hill's jokes to Michael Sarah about how hot his mom is like, these yes. are all things that would actually happen to kids at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you just, you know, one of your kids has a car or one of your friends has a car. And so he's always the one doing the driving around and just the whole like, oh, fuck yourself about the last day of school and stuff like that. Like, <laughs> it's home ec, All right. Give me a fucking break. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but also I remember distinctly part of the enjoyment coming from the fact that Michael Sarah is 100 percent me in that movie when I was in high school, Mm -hmm. like just gangly, awkward, awful with women, like absolutely, I guess really not much has changed, but (laughs) at that point it felt like, you know, some people are like, Oh my God, I feel seen. And it's sort you know, that is like the first time I sort of felt like I saw seen on screen, which is like crazy, you know, like just because most movies are about white guys, but this one in particular really spoke to me and it was like you know you go see it at like 10 o'clock so you have you get you have time to get like dinner beforehand and you just you're just sort of you're ready to laugh at that moment i think there's a distinct difference between just that group a, a group of people laughing at a screen and it was like one of the funniest movies i'd ever seen it was something that just kind of came out of nowhere with two relative unknowns I mean, the whole cast at that point, save for Seth Rogen and his little part with Bill Hader, but like Jonah Hill wasn't really a household name. Michael Sarah, nobody watched the rest of development. Christopher Mintz Plus, like none of these guys were, were anything. And so I think that kind of added a little bit of charm to it. And it was and, off the heels yeah. of Knocked Up too earlier in the year, right? Right, which they weren't really a big part of. Yeah, I mean, was that was that was Apple's so, producer on Superbad? Yeah, he was like he kind of came in and took the script that because I think Seth 
uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg wrote that when they were in high school. And so there's some stuff on the DVD about them. Uh, I think they were doing testing with some of the old script and it didn't sound like it sounded filthy and it was kind of funny, but you could tell Apatow helped to kind of bring it together and sort of hone it into a movie and take what was good and cut out all the rest of the stuff of the other stuff. So, but uh, it's, I mean, one of it's just turned into one of my favorite comedies and one of the most quotable movies of all time. So yeah. Uh, yeah once you, once you, once the movie starts and you get that Foxy Brown, like retro credit sequence with the, the, the flashing vibrant colors and this right. the silhouettes dancing. And... Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just, okay. A good time is, I'm in. is in our future. <laughs> yeah. 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 That That's a hilarious movie. Loved it. So I'm moving up a couple summers now to the summer of 97. I, I promise I'm getting to a couple experiences that just revolve around in, individual movies, but these first couple, okay. it's more about the cumulative experience of the summer. So summer of 97, I'm in seventh grade. Movies are absolutely on my radar now as scheduled diversions every year. Like it, it's going to happen. I'll get to the movie come hell or high water. I will be in the theater during the summer. So this summer in particular was, I think, my first introduction to Hollywood excess <laughs> proper and, and and the suffocating beauty of it. <laughs> and also one instance of Hollywood being at its most sublime, which I'll, I'll touch on last. So, so we start off in May with Austin Powers. So a fantastic spoof movie to this day jaw-droppingly funny and now that i've seen more movies i've kind of seen some of the things that have inspired austin powers along the way like like the italian job i mean pretty much any movie with michael Caine, and it's really fun seeing how those seeds were planted and the same day austin powers comes out you got breakdown hollywood thriller done really really well kurt russell jt walsh kathleen quinlan really good suspense thriller in my opinion you know, those classic summer movie staples. Yes, yes. In my life, they were, goddammit. So then we get to a trio of films that it's hard to believe they came out the same summer. Actually, I'm going to say four films. So in May, you get The Fifth Element. Whew. Hollywood excess to a T. But great stuff. In June, you get Con Air. <laughs> Maybe one of the best bad summer movies of all time. Yeah. Then in the end of June, you get face off John Woo's epic entrance into American cinema. <laughs> that is crazy that they came out in the same month, same month. And then end of July, you get air force one, a super Hollywood, super Harrison Ford. Yeah. Super adventure thriller, <laughs> which is yeah. still, still very entertaining. I do catch up with it from time to time. Cause it just, it's just the product of another era now, it seems like, for some reason. It's on Netflix now, actually. Mm, yeah, I think I watched it on, yeah. on Prime, like like maybe the end of last year. I was like, this movie, whoever casted Gary Oldman as the villain should have gotten a raise. I don't know if they did. I don't know who it was, <laughs> but it was perfect. And... But it's but that's crazy. Like that those but like those types of movies you think about, and what do they all have in common? It's like, I mean, Very really the. The main, but I mean, like the main pitch of it probably was just like, 
here's a little tiny inkling of something, but we're going to chalk it full of movie stars and just kind of let them go do their thing. Like Con Air is like, okay, a bunch of criminals are on a plane. Oh, but it's got Nicolas Cage in it. And, and if he's got, Bruce he's got Willis, pretty wavy, sexy hair, we got a, we got, oh, we got a Leanne Rhymes tune we can throw in there while we're at it. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, and we're going to land the plane on the, on Las Vegas Boulevard. Right. But like, right. We've, but we've, like, we've got a young Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Got, just like movie a, stars. Yeah. Like movie <laughs> stars being. John Malkovich. Oh, it's just wonderful. Like movie stars doing movie star things is a super interesting genre that I don't really know if that exists anymore, just because if a movie star is going to be in a movie today, it's, they're going to be in a big IP sort of thing. Like, but you just, you know, anyway. Right. Exactly. I mean, just not just chewing scenery, but choking on it. You know, that was, yeah. that was that, that was the summer of 97. And much, lest I forget June 20th, Batman and Robin comes out. <laughs> I remember I was there. Yeah. You don't have to remind me. <laughs> I was there. Yeah. Yes. A movie so bad that it killed Warner Brothers Batman screen presence for eight years. <laughs> I mean, that's how bad it was. <laughs> is, is, there, yeah. is there a better example of Hollywood excess on this entire list than Batman and Robin so far? Oh, God, no, not at all. No, that's, and I mean, not even on this list, really, just like in the film world in the nineties, like there's yeah. not many that, that really can match up to that, to that whole thing. But, and the, the, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying, I, I, I generally, I've, I've just been at peace with it. I remember I was, you know, I was, cause I'm a year before you, you graduated in Oh two, right? right? So I'm, I was Oh three. So I was in sixth grade when it came out and I was all jazz. Cause I was, I mean, I bought the soundtrack and I was all, you know about and i remember watching it and being like this is fun like it's campy it's kind of stupid but i was like eh, it didn't really like bother me it wasn't really until much later that i realized just the vitriol and the hatred that people had for it and i was just like <laughs> i mean basically that movie is made for me it is made for somebody <laughs> in my exact age range and so i think when i saw it at the time i was like okay cool and now i can watch it ironically <laughs> And be like, okay, so I've sort of come full circle on it, I think. I remember I still, walking out of I, that movie theater when the credits were rolling and there being kind of a, an unusual silence among the crowd. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sure if I'm, if I'm faking these memories later, if that's what actually happened. But from what I remember, nobody really had a lot of enthusiasm. It was just kind of like if you thought Batman Forever wasn't campy enough, you know, Batman and Robin yeah. says, hold its beer. And here we go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, that was oh, my totally. experience with like, Oh, that was different. I think from a movie I was anticipating, but, <laughs> yeah. but the actual apex of this summer lands on July 27th. And it's a really memorable time for me because it was when I really realized the power of a summer movie. And that's when men in black came out. And Classic. yeah. So Will Smith was already, poised for the stratosphere after having done independence day after fresh prince it was all building and men in black was what really threw him over the edge because it wasn't just that he was in one of the the greatest adaptations of a comic book to date i mean it's it's a perfect it's perfect hollywood popcorn that movie 
It's artful. It's funny. It has some surprisingly profound things in it. <laughs> if you were just to take some of the dialogue on its own terms and isolate it. And it also was the first time I realized how crucial a movie soundtrack was to the movie experience itself, because as we know, Will Smith was a dual threat and the combination of him being in that movie and releasing the men in black tune simultaneously. I just, I'd never seen a movie star. So on top of the world, I mean, he was everywhere. I remember my brother would have been about 10. And I think he saw this before I did. He went with a group of his friends and saw it and he came back and we were at my grandma's house and a, a TV spot for men in black was on. And I think if I remember right, they use the, the neuralizer or the, the memory wiper thingy. On, yeah. Neuralizer. You had it right. Yeah. On the, they actually use it at the camera in the TV spot telling you like not telling you not to look or something like that. And I remember my brother looking up to me right as that part of the TV spot was happening and he goes, don't look, don't look. <laughs> and I was like, what are you talking about? And then, <laughs> and, then, and then I went to see it. And of course I was, I was blown away. I mean, in terms of visual effects, like that was, I mean, looking back now, it's, it's awful, but of course, but putting it in the context of the time, that was some of the most sophisticated visual effects that was ever in a music video. Uh, with mm -hmm. Him, you know, doing a choreographed dancing next to the alien and the aliens and, and everything. Yeah. yeah, it was just it was just kind of a this this apex event where music and movies converged. And it was just the biggest thing in the summer. And it's something that I, I still carry with me as a great experience. It's crazy to think about how two years later he tries to do the exact same thing with the exact same director, <laughs> release a song and be the star of a, of, of, of a movie at the same time. And just to have it go just as well as men in black went wild, wild West went that poorly well, just all around the song worked out, but Oh, the song is what I, is, is, is what you will remember. Yeah. The song is the most memorable part. You got one out of two. And that ain't bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, I, I don't think he's really been in, in as big of him, he hasn't been in anything near that scale and that level of success since 97, which is kind of interesting. That is interesting. Cause he's sort of known as the King of the July 4th weekend and everything, but the, you have Hancock from 2008, oddly enough, yeah, but yeah. And Hitch was pretty successful, yeah. I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But never really reached those, that, that, uh, that summit again. Well, my next one I wouldn't, I mean, you didn't steal any thunder, but you'd mentioned part of it and 1999's Austin Powers and the spy who shagged me. <laughs> so I was actually, I don't know if I was too young or if my parents thought I was too young to go to see Austin Powers in the theater. So that's another one I caught up with on VHS and absolutely loved it. So in 99 comes around, it comes around July, uh, June 11th. 1999 which is the same day as my eighth grade graduation mm. so i mean this is sort of the cumulative version of this and another movie that actually came out the same year which is coming later on the list it, it does speak to this is that independence that we were talking about i mean i just graduated middle school i was on top of the world you know <laughs> i had a girlfriend i had my friends i had a bit of cash in my pocket because of graduations and i got confirmed that year like at the, the at church and uh yeah, you're the lost member of the rat pack at that point 
heck yeah. You know, was feel going feel feeling good going into high school. So I saw this one. I must have seen this one, I think, twice on opening weekend. So I opened it. I saw it once on the opening Friday and then immediately went out and bought the soundtrack because <laughs> the music is great in it. There's a lot of really good covers of 60s songs like uh, I mean, the classic one that comes out of it is the Lenny Kravitz American Woman. But there's like an REM song, like a, they they do Dragon the Line. So they they there's some good, you know, oldies and new and, and and new stuff coming in there. But in as is the case with me, I bought the soundtrack, took the entire night memorizing the Doctor Evil Just the Two of Us song, <laughs> so I could basically. When it came up the next time I was going to go see it, which either which was either Saturday or Sunday, I was going to go with my girlfriend and a group of friends. And I could I, I don't know what my plan was. I think I had a plan in my brain, but I think just like most things, it just it, it didn't turn out the way that I thought it would. And I don't really know what I was thinking, because basically I was just trying to impress her by knowing what the song was like knowing the words of the song so early on that the movie had come out, <laughs> but I see the only thing I could do. I'm in a, th I'm in a movie theater with everybody else being silent around me in this movie, just blaring. And I could only just sort of lip sync it silently. It didn't make any sense. I couldn't actually sing it. It's not like I was going to go on stage and like, sing along with the movie it was just like i had to just sort of sit there and like move my mouth along with it and at that point who knows what i i could be saying anything i don't even know but <laughs> there was a distinct possibility that i mean well it's not a distinct but it, it is the truth that i was a huge austin powers fan like the first one i had t-shirts i had action figures i had like a whole set of him and dr evil and stuff like that like i mean it was a big deal mm -hmm in my life. And I don't know if it's necessarily that the movie itself is imprinted on me. It was just maybe these days, but I feel like the time in my life where I felt really independent and I felt like I was starting to gain a little bit, I was like 13 or something like that. So it's not like, you know, my parents are letting me out going to, to all hours of the night, but being able to go to a movie get dropped off by your parents and go to a movie with your friends, even at that point still sort of felt like a win. And, um, so, uh, yeah. And I would, uh, I, 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 that summer, I just would see these movies over and over again. That was another part of it is the fact that you can just go again, if you have money and you're like, cool, I'm just going to, I can just go at 11 o'clock in the afternoon and just go see it and stuff. And a couple of times I actually paired it, uh, I actually snuck into another movie that's on this list and pair them both together. And so that was just like, you were talking about the summers of, you know, 2005, 1997, so like that 1999, the summer of 1999, I guess turned out to be a very big summer for me uh, as well. So. so Austin Powers, the spy who shagged me and that Lenny Kravitz video for American woman is all the only thing I remember about, either is how hot Heather Graham was yeah. <laughs> and they, they are factors in, in both the, the music video and the movie. I just wanted to, I just wanted to throw and, that in there. And it wasn't until I saw Boogie Nights <laughs> much later. Oh, in all life, that was, was cashed like, out. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. 
but I mean, there was, there's even that part in the very, you know, yeah. In the very yeah. beginning, but yeah, no, it's uh yeah. Yeah. Great stuff. Funny enough. My, Love fir- my first ever real Hollywood crush was oddly, well, not oddly. I mean, she's gorgeous, but Holly Berry. Yeah. Okay. And this would have been because I had just seen her in executive decision with Kurt Russell <laughs> and yeah. a very yeah. small part from Steven Seagal. And right. I, that whole summer, I was obsessed with Holly Berry <laughs> and, and I, you know, it was just a thing that year. And I was never really obsessed with a, a Hollywood actress again, maybe until I saw Eva Green and Casino Royale. That might... Wow. That's a long time. Yeah. I mean, that was probably the, the gap between where I was like, okay, I cannot get the, I cannot get how gorgeous this actress is out of my head. Like it just will not leave my head. Anyway, huh. I digress. Anyway. So, so summer of 2000, it's April. My family had just gone to Hawaii. It's the first time I'd ever traveled outside the continental U.S., so it was a big deal for us. Then I get back, and May 5th happens, and that's when Gladiator comes out. Mm. So I would have been, I think, 15 at this time. Because, yeah, my birthday's in September. I would have been 15. And I don't, to this day, remember how I got in. But it's on the list because it's the first R-rated movie I saw without my parents. Wow. So this was, words cannot express how empowering this was. (laughs) Just sitting in my seat, mom and dad aren't around to potentially shield my eyes at the slightest transgression on screen like they did in the theater and with other movies, Ace Ventura comes to mind. Oh boy. <laughs> and I was with a friend, I think, I think it was, I was with somebody I played baseball with whose name is escaping me now. And it was the first time I got to sit of my own accord of my own independence and watch a grand scale Hollywood film. And there was just something about that in itself that was so cool. And the fact that gladiator was such an epic movie, just a larger than life performance at its center, probably Ridley Scott's best movie since blade runner, or at least his most entertaining movie. I know some Thelma and Louise fans are cringing right now, Mm. but okay. I would never otherwise get a chance to do this on this podcast, but in defense of gladiator, (laughs) (laughs) one of the things i cannot stand is when people criticize it for its historical accuracy oh really (laughs) yes that's that's a thing it's like i don't remember i don't remember the preface at the beginning of the movie saying you're about to get a lecture in ancient roman history i just no no no, was that there ryan did i miss that no you haven't i've seen it multiple times i don't remember it uses people it uses places and time that we know to a good deal of certainty exist and just uses them to tell an epic story. I don't see what's wrong with that. I think this movie does it extremely well. It's bloody, but it has heart. It has drama. It's got great action. And yes, it's not the best movie of 2000, no matter what the Academy thinks. I know there are a lot of better movies that came out. Memento came out that year, Requiem for a Dream, In the Mood for Love, the, the Soderbergh doubleheader of Aaron Brockovich and Traffic, Almost Famous, O Brother Were Out, that, O Brother Were Art Thou, 
Crouching Tiger. All these movies came out in 2000. But I just wanted to defend Gladiator, Ryan. And I'm glad that you're just sitting there and taking it. I'm a Gladiator fan. I I, I might say I stand Gladiator. Because that, that also <laughs> is... That's also a big one. Because, I mean, I didn't see it in the theaters. Because, again, too young. But when it started to get a bunch of Oscar buzz, and that is usually the key for me with my with my parents when I was trying to go see R-rated movies was that are they important enough? Like capital I important. So like this one was getting a bunch of golden globe and like Oscar buzz. And so then it was like, okay, we can rent gladiator. I was like, yes. All right. Great. Just because it's a good movie. I can do it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's how I was able to sell going to see saving private Ryan when I was in sixth grade, (laughs) was because seventh grade or whatever it was. What a a good pitch. I don't know why you did, but that's, that's impressive. You know, it's historical. Uh, it's supposed to be really good. And, you know, wouldn't it be good for me to see like war and stuff like that? And, you know, I, my grandpa was the one who ended up taking me. And it's like, well, he he almost fought in World War Two. He was too young to go actually and go fight, but he really wanted to. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> those types of those types of things. But, yeah, I I would I would watch Gladiator a lot. Cause I would just have it and I would just make myself lunch in the summertime. And cause I had it on DVD, I ended up buying it and I would just throw the DVD on and wherever it came up, I would just sort of watch from there or watch like half an hour increments or something. Yeah. I, I love Gladiator. Oh yeah. The, the Hans Zimmer score along with it. There's just it, it, aside from the historical context of my life at the time, it's just a flat out entertaining movie. And I'm happy my first parentless R rated experience was in service of watching that film. Yeah. All right, good pick. I like that one. Thank you. That is uh, one I forgot actually came out in summer. I'm so not used to a lot of these movies coming out in summer because I had no, I, it was not even on my radar because I could not go see them. So I was like, how can I even get excited or try to sell this to go see Face Off? Right. So it's like, I only saw Face Off years later, mm-hmm. so whatever. But um, so this one, I think it's sort of an out of nowhere pick, but it, it has to do more with the, Again, like the experience surrounding it. Uh, but it is 2006's Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> Did we see this together? No, we didn't, unfortunately. We were, but we texted, I know we texted about it very recently or like after it, like shortly after we, I, I had asked you if you'd seen it or not. But because I definitely I mean, see it in Galita. So we must have saw it on different days. Yeah, I think we were. Well, no, because this was summer, so I was back home. Oh, you I, was, home. I saw it with my friends. Yeah, oh, okay. I saw it with my friends back home. And, but we want to talk about movies that delivered on hype. <laughs> the Dark Knight and this one, I would say, but in a totally different way. Very, very well, different. Saving way Ryan, we, which you just spoke to as well, definitely did. That's true. Yeah, that's true. That That one had a lot of stuff going in. But, I mean, it was really just the ridiculous time that we all sort of hoped it would be and and it it turned out that it was so for me it was a day off from school it was a day off from work so from everything i had you know i actually had a bank account at this time so i could actually go and like do stuff Uh, but my friends and i we had the idea because we were all going a bunch of us were going later that night we all bought stencils from michael's and we bought spray paint from Home Depot and we made homemade t-shirts for the Snakes on a Plane movie. Oh my God. 
that I had for years and uh, I'll post it. I'll post it on the Instagram feed for the, for McCarran podcast network, but we have multiple photos of us in these homemade shirts standing outside the movie theater and I'm wearing jorts, but that's just cause I, I used to wear denim shorts. That's just how, what I do. So we had another friend who bought like a giant, you know, one of those like styrofoam planes, you know, like those thick, bastards and we were basically we just took turns just throwing it around the parking lot we were just you know there weren't a lot of cars because who's really excited for this movie except for us and a couple other like ironic people who were seeing it ironically uh but we so we were like throwing this plane around and we cut the uh you know like on a paper plate it's got those ridges yeah on the, along the outside, I don't know. I think it's just for show. We basically it's the, it's the aesthetic calculations of a paper plate. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, you, you bet you didn't think you were getting that in this episode. <laughs> so we actually cut those off. So we would like cut in and then just go around the plate and cut that piece off. And we actually colored those to, and we sort of folded them so they look like snakes. So they have like scales and stuff like that. And we would put those on the airplane and throw them around. And I mean, I mean, really, it was just sort of like a bunch of 20 year olds just really just kind of trying to enjoy themselves, really. But I just I think back at that and other and other times when there's just been like just laughable for the wrong reasons, movie theater experiences. And I, the only thing I could think about now is any of those, I just really hope that there were no, there was nobody in the theater who thought it was supposed to be serious. Like, because that would have just ruined like just these rowdy oh, 20 year olds. I mean, yeah. There, I mean, anybody who was in that theater for a serious theatrical experience had it coming, honestly. That's true. That's a good point. But th- this is an, a, an example of, I don't even know if I can even watch this movie without, a modicum of ridiculous buildup to it. Or, I mean, cause that's the thing It's like the movie itself is ridiculous and it's, it's bad for bad sake, but it's got the classic tired of these motherfucking snakes yeah. on this motherfucking plane. And from what I remember, that doesn't, isn't it historically significant actually in the sense that didn't a lot of internet feedback actually go into making it? Yes. And so when we, when they first heard the internet first heard that this was happening, they actually lobbied for him to say that. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that, that you're absolutely right. That, that is something where the, in, the internet had the significant influence over something that we see on screen. And it, and I think maybe they were planning on making it just sort of a, a straight up horror, but then, you know, horror thriller type of thing. But then there was just this massive outpouring. Like, okay, we've like, got Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> Yeah, we have snakes, we have a plane. What can we, what more do you need? What can we do? I mean, it's it's written, it's right yeah. there, it's on the wall. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't even know if I've seen this movie all the way through. After that, I just don't think that I'd be able to sit through it without without that full experience. You, you of need, it. So you need this, the context, like it's yeah, yeah. Why would you even attempt to watch this without the anticipation and the crowd experience? I mean, there's no reason to ever yep. throw that movie on otherwise. Yep, I totally agree. So that's my number two, Snakes on a Plane. Great, great time. So much fun. Good pick. I forgot that I actually saw that because I, I was I was still around for the summer. Of, uh, you said it was 2006? Yes. Yeah, I was still around for the summer. So I saw that with my, my roommate at the time, Pat Rose, I think. 
I think uh, who was a teammate on the UCSB with me, and we went and saw snakes on a plane, and it was, uh, yeah, it was an experience. <laughs> it was fun. It was fun. Uh, okay. I love this one. Just so brace yourself. This is probably my favorite on the list. So summer of 2001, I'm 16. It's still a pre-9-11 world. Life is optimistic. <laughs> um, I've traveled to Oklahoma with my summer baseball team to play in the American Legion World Series. It's the first time I've ever been to the Midwest. I think I just had my license, my driver's license at that point. I had just gotten it. I've got probably Blink-182's album, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, buzzing in my headphones on my CD player. Ah, I, I'm just getting warm and fuzzy thinking about it now. Classic. <laughs> so the second I get off the plane in Oklahoma, I experience what humidity is for the first time. <laughs> and we were supposed to play a game later that evening. And I'm basically hallucinating on the field. Like I'm seeing colors. I have never had that experience since. I'd never had it before. I was not acclimated to that climate. And it was fucking with my head in a real way. But anyway, so long story short, we crush in that tournament. We come in third place out of 50 teams. We were primarily from one high school, which was really impressive. Oh, wow. We had two or three guys from a neighboring high school in our conference that were on the team. But other than that, we were from one high school. And every other team we're playing is just a multi-state like amalgamation effort. So it's double elimination. We lose twice to the same team, which is, I believe they were Dow, which was a combination of Washington, Oregon, and maybe Idaho. So these are kids from all over three states. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and again, we're just one high school and two or three other players from another high school. And so we lose to this team twice. And coincidentally, Tim Lincecum was on that team. <laughs> wow, really? Yeah. Yeah, we never actually faced him. We saw the same starting pitcher two times in a row in the span of maybe four or five days. So we never got to face Timmy, but, but his hype, I'm sure he was probably the <laughs> talk of the talk of the tournament. Yes. So, so that's the tournament. So interspersed within the tournament, we got out to see, we got, I promise a movie story is coming up here. That's so, fine. So, no, no, you're good. so interspersed in this dominating run, we go to the movie a couple of times. We go to see a movie a couple of times. And, you know, most of us are away from our parents, I mean, some of them might have made the trip for a day or two, but most of them couldn't afford to take a week off to go see us play in, in fucking Oklahoma. So, so, yeah. So one of our coaches says that he's going out to a movie with uh, his son, who is also who is also on the team. And so the rest of us think, hey, that's a good idea. So before you know it, 10 of us are going and we're like, OK, this seems like an opportunity to exploit some parentless loophole here. <laughs> okay. Smart. So, I like it. I like so it. So we're like, what's out? You know, this is again, not a time at which, you know, everything's coming out and maybe you've seen some, some trailers from other movies or TV spots, but the internet isn't really helpful at this time. I'm going to guess that you are probably the go-to for this. It's probably not a group decision. They're probably looking at you going, what do you think, Shank? What's going on? What do you think? You're the movie guy. <laughs> I had ideas. Okay. All right. So this one coach, right? Chuck Holman, if you're out there, I love you. He 
gets us all in to see original sin. <laughs> so, I was okay. not expecting that. So, absolutely or, or, just original shocking. sin, okay? And to this day people tell me that it's a thriller and there's apparently <laughs> some kind of story in it. But to all of us precocious 16-year-olds, 15, 16-year-olds, this was the Angelina Jolie gets naked movie. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Okay. And so I remember us, I think we took up a good portion of two rows in this theater. So we're all kind of just biding our time through the rest of the exposition and shit. Antonio Banderas chewing up scenery. And <laughs> we, we finally get to the reason we're there. Yeah. <laughs> and it's this... dramatic love scene between Banderas and Jolie that shot kind of over them. It's like a camera's looking down on this bed with like silk sheets. It was very regal. And there's a lot of dissolves, you know, they're kind of, you know, exploring at least half of the Kama Sutra apparently. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I remember looking to some of my teammates in the row ahead of us. I was in the, the row furthest back. And uh-huh. when when this was going on, I, I'd lock eyes with one of my teammates, and, and we both we both just put our fist up in the air, <laughs> like we did it. <laughs> we're here. We're doing this right now. <laughs> and, oh my god! And none of our parents are the wiser. <laughs> wow! So. You learned a little bit of something about yourself that day. Right. Arguably, <laughs> arguably, as I said in the sandlot, we walked a little taller that day. Yep. And, <laughs> and I, I'm just going to leave it there because I think I've got the point across. And oddly enough, when the movie ended, nobody wanted to get up immediately. You guys all sat through the yeah, credits. Our, hat, and our hats everything. were on our laps and it was just a... Very respectful. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, it was like we were yeah. in church. Yeah, exactly. Well, I didn't really, that's again, something I do not, I did not expect that whatsoever. So that was completely shocking. Neither did I. So there you go. Yeah. Completely shocking. And, uh, well, my, my, my number one, I guess it's, I can't really, uh, that nobody, nobody gets naked that I know of in this movie. Boring. I know, right? Rude. <laughs> but this is really kind of, I mean, there is no other reason for doing this list than to discuss what happened on May 19th, 1999, when a little movie called The Phantom Menace is released. <laughs> yeah, it had the gold standard, it had, Clayton. It had it's, to end here. It did. It's the gold standard. For summer movie releases, I mean, everything about it is just wonderful and perfect and will never be topped and is a microcosm of why I continue to enjoy these films to this day. Quality be damned. But I was in eighth grade for it when it came out. The hype for it, obviously off the charts. Everybody kind of knew that, okay, Ryan, you're a big Star Wars fan. You're going to you're going to go see it and you're going to do this and that and the other. And uh, so my mom actually got in line and got tickets for my friend and I at the time 
to go and see it. And that was like a big deal because it's like tickets at that point. It was a tough ticket to get. So I got in the car. Oh, yeah. And maybe like a few days before it came out and she like handed me this greeting card and was like, oh, read it and everything. So I read it and everything. It was nice. I opened it and it was like there were two tickets for the like 9 a.m. showing on May 19th, which, first of all, is also it's a school day. So, wow, I was able to take the whole day off of school. We my friend Fred and I, we dressed up like we were going to a premiere so we wore like fancy clothes on a Friday morning. Like I have the, I have the photo still. It's like, I'm wearing an all, I have sort of an all Brown number going on. Uh, and we're each, we're each holding a lightsaber and everything. So we're like, we're going to do this right. You know, we are going to, we are going to do this up. This is like the biggest moment in our lives up to this point. So everyone was like lined up outside the theater we were in lawn chairs. Like we were just sort of hanging Like we got there. It was maybe a 10 o'clock showing. And then we got there at like eight. And so we get there and like, this is, we're thinking like, man, we should be in school right now. (laughs) But like we weren't. Uh, And luckily my mom was, my mom was cool. She covered for us. She said I had the Wookiee flu. (laughs) So I don't know if that's true. That's, that's what we used to joke about. Um, Wookiee flu. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we were, so we were in the lawn chairs and just like, Everybody had everybody is there for the same reason. Like we're all excited. We all the joy was just palpable, you know, like you had to brush it away from your face. Like that's how that's how it was like. But the big thing that I didn't expect was just how the the this sense of community came about and how it manifested itself. Cause like everyone was just sort of like sharing everything that they had. Like goldfish and orange juice and bagels and everybody was just it felt like a party everybody was just kind of there for the you know we all waited in line to get tickets or whatever and this was sort of the big payoff for it just people passing out random stuff to share and it was just very much a communal experience and then once we were in the theater the generosity continues it was like random people were offering junior mints like somebody in the in uh in line or somebody in the row ahead of us turned around and was like, "Hey guys, we bought too much popcorn. Do you want some?" And I was like, "Yes, but what does that mean? You bought too much popcorn or whatever?" But I didn't, you know, you don't question. <laughs> How do you it. buy too much popcorn? Yeah, exactly. You know the sizes they're there anyway. But it was it it was less of a of a time for a movie and it was more of a celebration of our fandom and like a way to share our collective love of the movie yeah and the series in general because at that time we really didn't know what we were in for like we don't we didn't we didn't have any idea all we had was this anticipation and this is that this is where the anticipation took us and it, into this like feeling of 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 community mm-hmm. i still love this movie i think it's probably the best one of the prequels mm-hmm. it's probably my favorite one of the prequels it probably was revenge of the sith for a while but watching both of them it still does have a sort of natural feel to it um i know it's it's heavily cgi'd but attack of the clones and revenge of the sith both feel like there's just digital sheen all over it and i yeah this one at least still feels like it was shot in outdoors in the outdoors mm-hmm. in some parts but um, I didn't understand much of what happened in the movie <laughs> when I was in eighth grade. I still don't. 
Yeah, well, it took me a long time. I sort of, <laughs> sort of get it. Like, but after that, it was like I took my parents to see it. I took my grandfather to see it. I went and saw it again when they did a re-release in December of '99. It was like a charity screening, and they just put it in a few theaters. And so we went and saw it again. Like, and this is sort of. I mean, this is the first time I could think about the epitome of what fandom is. It's mm-hmm. like you're sitting in the front of a theater or outside a theater. You're sharing what you all love together, you know? And I mean, the prequels have gotten a lot of shit over the years and a lot is warranted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, most of it is probably warranted, but sort of to tie it all back together to the, to the, what I was saying at the beginning is that this was the start of my star Wars journey. Mm-hmm. Like I, had a, a just sort of a disconnect with the other ones. Did because, you see the, re- yeah. the re-releases in the nineties? So I did, I did. And I really enjoyed that, but it just, it was stuff that I had already seen. And I, I, you know, big moment as well for me to, to see those, but this has felt like, okay, that was felt like an older people's star Wars. This is my star Wars. Yeah. You know, this is like, this is where I am in the zone for this. I am in the tank for this. Like it's a new film on the big screen and I don't know if really that idea of the fandom, at least for Star Wars, I think is in such a major state of disrepair. I don't even know if that excitement is really there anymore for me, or maybe it's just because I'm older, but it just seems like that there are so many like just dividing lines with yeah, the, there's a lot with of, what you like and what you don't like. There's a lot like. of cynicism it, it, out there now. But, yeah. I mean, it, I mean it, it kind of just feels like it started when Disney took over. Maybe it's just because we're in this all-consuming internet bubble now where so many opinions are just flying around so readily and at the, the slightest inconvenience in your life. <laughs> and it, yeah. it just feels like there's so much negativity about this now. And I don't know if you could capture that kind of magic again where nobody really knew anything. This is the late 90s. I mean, most people probably don't have the internet yet. And all you really had to go on was if you were lucky enough to see the teaser, you know, that came out, was it earlier in the year or the year before? I, I don't remember. Yeah, it was with Meet Joe Black. That was the first time it had a trailer. That was probably the first time I can remember where I read about people just leaving after they saw the trailer. Yeah, exactly. But it, but, but I think it maybe in part is maybe birthed from the memories that maybe a lot of us have from seeing Phantom Menace and being so excited for that, that we feel like when we see these other movies or other people feel like when they see these new movies that, well, it doesn't give me the feeling that I had back in 1999. And so for that, I'm going to hate it, Mm -hmm. which so it's, I guess it's kind of a double-edged sword. I think I can, and you and people who are rational thinking can kind of compartmentalize how this made you feel 20 plus years ago and realize there's probably a lot more things going on. This just the wonder of youth. I imagine probably <laughs> this probably had a lot to do with it or maybe remembering certain moments or certain things, but you just don't have that these days for whatever reason. So I don't know. It's possible that maybe that we're remembering things and projecting it onto something and it's unfair to do so when there's, lots of kids that are probably going to be talking about it in 20 years, going to see the force awakens for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, and then the sort of, maybe the cycle will, will continue. But um, for me, the anticipation building up to that, seeing the phantom menace, 
seeing it multiple times after that, just that theater experience, it's number one with a bullet. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I, I think looking back on it, it was it had to be the gap between movies that contributed to such unheard of levels of anticipation at the time. So I think it was, so you got Return of the Jedi in 83 and then 99. So you got about a 16 year gap in between Star Wars movies. And it was never written anywhere that they had to make another one after Return of the Jedi. I mean, it, no, because they, they had already made a trilogy. We weren't the franchise obsessed public like we I imagine we were back in the early 80s. And it had to be that. I mean, Lucas was overseeing the whole thing this time. It could have taken you anywhere. I mean, you knew the like the kernel of why the movies were being made, what story they were purporting to tell, but they could have taken you you anywhere. And it's also another historically significant movie, like you said, for its use of CGI. I mean, that movie is probably the time castle for what we take for granted every day now when we go see a summer movie. I mean, it was the first movie to really flaunt CGI in that kind of an extended way where they're not just filling in the details on the screen. I mean, you've got whole characters, you've got environments, you've got battles that are all rendered in CGI. And yeah, I mean, I, like most people that age, walked out of Phantom Menace on a cloud. I mean, it had a lot of things that played so well on the big screen. Uh, it, it just it had all the iconic Star Wars moments you would expect that you just can't substitute anything for the theatrical experience for. But it also had the pod race, such a cool sequence, another heavily CGI sequence. Never seen anything like it before. It had John Williams' epic duel of the fates, which is just made for the big screen. And talk about having the hair stand up on the back of your neck. I mean, that was totally. that was about as epic as it fucking gets. <laughs> yeah. See, seeing this amazing lightsaber duel with that playing in the background. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd already scoured the soundtrack or listened to the soundtrack <laughs> a bunch of times before then. But uh, <laughs> oddly enough, one of the... Yeah, one of the uh, one of the songs on the soundtrack is called Qui Gon's Funeral, and you're like, "Oh, that's nice. Thanks for ruining that." I didn't for that. that. <laughs> really, but like, like, but also, <laughs> yeah, like, come on, you couldn't call it just like the somber music. I don't know, <laughs> like something else besides that. The sad song. It's the worst thing. Yeah, but all the so it was funny. Like, oh, we'll get off this in a second. We've been talking about a lot, but like. The thing that's interesting you bring up about the CGI stuff, because that was what my grandfather, when I took him to go see it, that was like a main thing because he he and I kicked off a lot of my movie fandom because I would stay at his at, at their my grandparents house while my parents were working in the summer of 92, I believe. And all we would do is just go see these movies and he would go see these awful kids movies and. And it really kind of got me like excited and looking at movie times and what are we going to do? When are we going to make it? Blah, blah, blah. And so for him to go see that, it was very much, he came out just flabbergasted by this movie, like in a good way because of all the digital thing. It was just stuff you just never seen before and just would have had no idea was even possible. And so that was really cool. I mean, the, the, he, he pointed out the pod race sequence specifically is just really enthralling. And I mean, the whole last, battle where you've got the battle of Naboo 
the battle in the sky with Anakin and the lightsaber battle just cutting back and forth between all these different like types of action and the music is great. Yeah, like it's it's got it all and it and it's 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 wonderful. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, I walked out the same as you. I had little idea what actually just happened on screen, but whew, the eye candy yeah. the eye candy was rich. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. That's a great uh that's a great one to have at the top of your list. And uh it's something you've touched on in the past on these various shows and in private conversation, but I glad you had a platform to finally elaborate on it this time. I agree. I agree. Yeah, so I'm gonna keep this one a little more brief, but it's just the summer of 2002 and it's, it's where we'll end. Uh, so I'm just graduating high school. I got college in the fall and it's really the first movie summer where I'm just kind of starting to think about myself as an adult now and I can go see anything I want that that elusive 17 has come and gone. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like a man, what a magical age that was. You're telling me I can see anything now <laughs> I, <laughs> yes. I, I can see orgasmo when it comes to town or this whole world or... it's like turn 21 this whole like sequence this whole thing opens up for you that you had no idea was there before <laughs> oh it was, it was great so my varsity baseball team had just won the section title and we were a division two team so that's kind of as far as it goes there was no state title but us and our our heated rival Christian brothers who squared off in the championship were could have easily manhandled any division one team in that area. We were just both stacked, but because of the limitations of the size of our town and our school, we were in division two. So we came out on top, ended the high school campaign with a, with a win at the top of the pyramid. And that's kind of what was framing the, the summer movie season. I was just riding high. It was definitely my, my Rat Pack moment, as you were just kind of saying with one of your your earlier stories about, uh, you know, you got change in your pocket, you got, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. You, you got the drive, you you got you got girls in your life for the first, yeah. I mean, it was it was kind of that vibe, but unfortunately, lacking the the female element. Hell yeah! <laughs> well, you know, what, what can you do? I was I was, I was, I was, I was an individual kid at that time. You're a different, yeah. It was a different time, you know. We were, we're most geniuses are not appreciated in their of, of time. Of course, so. it's, it's it's always after your day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I'm not saying I'm Edgar Allan Poe, but you get you get the gist. <laughs> <laughs> so May 3rd is when Spider Man was released in the summer of 2002, and I know technically I think you could probably put the beginning of the modern superhero era with. Brian Singer's X-Men and even more hardcore people will probably point to Blade of 1998. Uh, but in terms of what we now think of the summer superhero film, it definitely has its roots with Spider-Man. This is the true beginning of the modern superhero era. And what a joy and what a buzz was leading into that film. It was the first film that really convinced at the time. I mean, I haven't watched it in quite a while, but at the time its effects were scarily convincing i mean just the first shot of peter parker climbing on the wall for the first time using his sticky hands <laughs> it was something mm-hmm. really exciting about it because even with those early scenes you could tell that they were going to try to pull this off convincingly and that's something i don't think even the most die hard of comic book fans could have anticipated 10 20 30 years prior and they really did. They cast it well. It was an exciting movie. It was a fun origin story. And 
it just set the table for everything that we have seen and loved since. And that was probably the most marquee event of the summer. It wasn't a great summer overall. I mean, yeah, you have some decent films like The Born Identity comes out in June. Minority Report comes out also in June. And those were kind of the biggest, I want to say, touchstones of that summer. But one of the stories I want to touch on the most is on July 12th, when you're probably not ready for this movie either, so you know. Uh, Halloween Resurrection comes out. (laughs) Nope. Was not thinking that. (laughs) Yeah. I was thinking, I was thinking, I was thinking Road to Perdition actually, because that was also a 2002 movie. It was. I did not see that until later, but yes, you're, you're correct. But I, this is definitely not, I'm not ranking this as a one to five really, because I I find it so hard to rank memories like this. I mean, Summer of 08 would be my, are probably our unanimous number one, I'm guessing, or maybe not for you. But, so going to see Halloween Resurrection was so fun because my my best friend, who is also a mutual friend of yours, Justin Mary, or the J-Man, as you have come to know him, we were massive fans of the Halloween series. We met, back up, backing up a little bit, we met in 99. We both played on the freshman baseball team. He had just moved to town. I had moved to town a couple years earlier. We hit it off over... GoldenEye 007 and 64. So we're just hanging out, playing a lot of video games, Duke Nukem, whatever. And one day he says, have you ever seen Halloween? And I was like, no. And he goes, we're going to watch Halloween. <laughs> and so, mm. and so I loved it. Like I was very squeamish about movie violence growing up. And it's funny because that's so weird. My, to me my brother, to my brother was the opposite at the time. He could kind of see anything and be okay, even though he was younger. And now it's a little more flip. Like it takes a fucking lot to unsettle me now. So when a movie does it, you know, hats off. But at mm-hmm. the time, I, I was still kind of on the fence of horror movies and that kind of visceral graphic violence in, in general, and whether I wanted to force feed it into my eyes. And so we watch Halloween. I love it we probably watched the rest of the movies in the series over the next few weekends. And it's quite a few. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so where Halloween resurrection comes in is this is the first movie that first Halloween movie that Justin and I could see together on the big screen because Halloween H2O had come out in 98. It was the 20 year anniversary. And we just, we didn't know each other at the time. And I probably would have said no fucking way back in 98 because I just was not not into horror movies at the time. So we go go and see Halloween Resurrection. We're not really anticipating much. It's more just the experience of seeing a new Michael Myers film together. We weren't anticipating much and the movie offered even less. (laughs) I mean, you know, it's, it's got Tyra Banks in it. It's got Thomas Ian Nicholas from Rookie of the Year. It's got Buster Rhymes, so you're not really anticipating the next horror classic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it was very satisfying just to experience that as a, a burgeoning best friendship in progress, seeing Michael take out his havoc on people that still, quite frankly, I think deserved it. Because, <laughs> I mean, he was he, Michael Myers was essentially, he was not the antagonist. He was the protagonist to us. And you know, he didn't let us down. So I don't really have much more to say than that. It was just like kind of how the dark Knight was the culmination of our, the first chapter of our friendship. Cause 
it essentially opened, like I said, with an offhand comment about Batman Begins. And mm-hmm. I think it was Jeff Scheibel's TA class. <laughs> I'm sure it was. Yeah. I, I think it was. And then we saw Dark Knight, which was the capstone. And mm-hmm. Halloween Resurrection was like, wow, we've actually kind of gone through an arc, a mini arc and a friendship here, you know, where, huh. where yeah, where we've, we, we started kind of with Halloween and, and here's this, uh, this marker in the theater that we can point to and be like, man, that's where we actually got to see one together. So it was just kind of a good, a good best friend moment along, the, that's awesome. along the way. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and that's, go ahead. Sorry. You know, the, I, I'm essentially done. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was the gist of it. That's great. Yeah. Cause that's a lot of, I think something that if we can sort of tie it back to what's going on these days, which is that a lot of this, a lot of great memories come from seeing movies with other people and the, the, the company that you keep and being able to be maybe not necessarily, you know, Oh, it's not something you remember because you went with this person specifically, but because you're able to share it with, 250 other strangers all experiencing it for the first time at the same time. And it's that, it's that energy and it it builds up stuff like snakes on a plane like this. You wouldn't necessarily care about that movie, maybe any other way, you know, but you're in a theater. I mean, for me, it was like magic Mike XXL, the same type of thing. It was on my, on my year end list, mainly because of the, the experience you have in the theater with that. And so for it to for for these to sort of have that tinge of of enjoying it because of what it meant with this other person or friendship abroad just sort of writ large it's um it's something that is definitely lacking and i and i and i miss that aspect in this uh, amidst the entire pandemic yeah yeah and uh, i i really this was this was so much fun to do and just just great hearing i mean i You've you've mentioned some of these things along the way, but really hearing you flesh them out has been uh, been a real joy to listen to. Same, yeah, absolutely. I, I hope we can uh, we can do this again with a different topic in person at some point soon, without you know risking one of us killing the other. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's all. I mean, the the, the yes that. <laughs> When we get together, the risk of one of us killing the other is usually pretty high anyway, but now it's even yeah, more yeah. high because of this. You throw so. in the, the fickle mistress of nature into the fold and all bets are yeah. off. Oh, boy. Well, I do hope as well that we can uh, can get together and have some new movie stuff to, to talk about in the future. But uh, until then, we're just going to have to do it digitally, virtually. Clayton, it's been great having you. It's been great talking to you, and it was a lot of fun to uh, to hear you there discuss these things. Pleasure, Ryan. Let's do it again soon. See ya.